Are you looking for a new job? Are you hiring but can't find diverse, talented candidates? Then we have something that can help, our job board. Head on over to revisionpath.com forward slash jobs to browse listings or to place your own. This week on the job board, Moto Refi is looking for a director of product design in Washington, D.C. Imprint Projects is looking for an associate creative director. This is a remote position. And Duke University Press is looking for an art director for books and journals. This position is located in Durham, North Carolina. For just $99, we will feature your listing on our job board for 30 days and help spread the word about it to our diverse international audience of listeners. We also offer an annual job board subscription for companies and organizations. Make sure to head over to revisionpath.com forward slash jobs for more info on these listings. Apply today and tell them you heard about the job through Revision Path. Get started with us and expand your job search today. Revisionpath.com forward slash jobs. You're listening to the Revision Path Podcast, a weekly showcase of the world's black graphic designers, web designers, and web developers. Through in-depth interviews, you'll learn about their work, their goals, and what inspires them as creative individuals. Here's your host, Maurice Cherry. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Revision Path. Thank you so much for tuning in. I'm your host, Maurice Cherry. And before we get into this week's interview, I want to take some time and thank our accessibility sponsor for this episode, Brevity & Wit. Brevity & Wit is a strategy and design firm committed to designing a more inclusive and equitable world. They accomplish this through graphic design, presentations, and workshops around IDEA, inclusion, diversity, equity, and accessibility. If you're curious to learn how to combine a passion for IDEA with design, check them out at brevityandwit.com. Brevity & Wit. Creative excellence without the grind. On the weekend of October 8th through the 10th, join the Harvard Graduate School of Design virtually for the Black in Design 2021 conference. This year's theme, Black Matter, is a celebration of black space and creativity from the magical to the mundane. Their speakers, performers, and panelists will bring nuance to the trope of black excellence and acknowledge the urgent political, spatial, and ecological crises facing black communities across the diaspora. You don't want to miss out on this weekend of learning, community, and connection. Visit them online at blackmatter.tv to learn more and to be a part of the event. Support for Revision Path also comes from Adobe Max. Adobe Max is the annual global creativity conference and it's going online this year, October 26th through the 28th. This is sure to be a creative experience like no other. Plus, it's all free. Yep, 100% free. With over 25 hours of keynotes, luminary speakers, breakout sessions, workshops, musical performances, and even a few celebrity appearances, it's going to be one-stop shopping for your inspiration, goals, and creative tune-ups. Did I mention that it's free? Explore over 300 sessions across 11 tracks, hear from amazing speakers, and learn new creative skills, all totally free and online this October. To register, head to max.adobe.com. Also, we have a new review on Apple Podcasts. I'm so excited about this. This is from Adam underscore Box, who I believe has left a review before, if my memory serves me correctly. Anyway, uh, this review is titled, I've heard 30 plus hours of revision path. Love it. Here it goes. Tied with Changelog Podcast for best long running tech podcast. What are we at? Five years? I think more. 
Thank goodness for a developer podcast that's not from New York slash San Francisco, that's not just one kind of guest, and that's not just writing back-end code. Revision Path is from Atlanta, and about half of the developers went to art school, not MIT. The vibe here is a bit gentler and a bit more humble than some of the too-much-coffee-sounding tech podcasts. Mari's Cherry lowers my blood pressure as soon as I hear his voice. Well, thank you so much, Adam Box. It's good to know that my voice has such a such a calming and soporific effect. <laughs> I should put that on my Tinder profile. No, no, but seriously, uh, thank you so much for the review. It really means a lot. Now for this week's interview. I'm talking with Elsa Omri, a visual designer in Dar es Salaam, Tanzania. Let's start the show. All right, so tell us who you are and what you do. Yes, my name is Elsa Amri. I am a visual designer from Tanzania, and currently I work as a junior visual brand identity designer with an agency in Canada, actually, so more of a remote role. But I also do freelance work as a visual designer with clients here in TZ and also a few outside of TZ, so more international clients. I was until recently, a student at Humber College, a school in Canada, studying user experience design, but I graduated technically, <laughs> I completed my course. Oh. So up until recently, that's what I've been doing education-wise. And now primarily, I kind of just work as a freelancer and designer with that company in Canada. But yeah, oh. it's a bit about me and what I'm doing right now. Well, congratulations on your recent graduation. Thank you. <laughs> I'm curious, like what's been on your mind lately? Like how are things going in general? It's definitely been a bit of a switch up. I was doing the course since January, so kind of got used to the whole schedule of, okay, learning for a couple of hours, kind of working on group assignments. And now it's like I have all this free time. I technically still have work, but it's a lot more free time than I was used to for several months. So I think I'm still in the process of trying to adapt to all this extra time I have and trying to use it more productively, Mm -hmm. you know, building myself up more as a designer. But yeah, it's kind of a limbo period for me right now that I guess will go away soon, but that's kind of how I'm feeling. Okay. I'd say maybe aside from you just graduating, like how have things like changed over the past year? Have you grown and improved in any ways? Like what's been a, what's been a big change from this year to last year or from last year to this year, I should say. I definitely would say that I have grown and improved because at the start of the year, I told myself that I wanted to really push myself in terms of promoting my work creating more work, so actually creating content that I can promote and just really putting myself out there in ways that I didn't do last year. And I've seen kind of the outcome of actually doing that and taking on that challenge. So there have been like opportunities and roles I've gotten that I would have never thought I'd get to do at this point in my career, but I have been able to do simply because I was a lot more open and a lot more like a lot more forward Mm -hmm. in terms of really like reaching out to people, connecting with people and just sharing my content and not being afraid to do that. So I'd say this year I've been a lot bolder in that sense. And I've seen that it's paid off in a lot of different ways, which has been pretty awesome. And yeah, just hoping to keep that up and do even more as the year goes on as well. That is awesome. One of my favorite sayings is fortune favors the bold. Mm -hmm. And like, you have to, you have to shoot your, you have to shoot those shots. You have to, be bold and forward because it's like the worst thing that anybody's going to say is no. So you kind of have to, especially if you're, I think, just starting out as a designer or you're, you're starting to get your footing as a freelancer, like you have to take those big wild shots in order to even like grow and progress. Cause no one's going to like hold your hand and like, you know, tell you which, which way to go or anything like that. Exactly. No, I agree with that. You have to kind of put yourself outside of your comfort zone 
which can be scary, but likely you're going to benefit from it in some way. You just kind of have to take that first step. Yeah. And speaking of those big opportunities, and we talked about this before we started recording, you've been doing some presentations with Adobe over like the past few months or so. Like, how did you first get involved with them? Uh, Oh, gosh. Let me try to think back. I think Adobe, because I use the main design program I use for like interface design, so website or app design is Adobe XD. And that's kind of been my go-to for a while. So I was always using the product. And over time, I guess you could say around last year or maybe even end of 2019, I became more involved in the actual community. So like on Discord and stuff, they have challenges and they have these different channels that you can participate in. So I started becoming a lot more active within the community. And even though that didn't help directly, I think it kind of put me on a path towards, like you said, doing the Adobe stuff that I've been able to do this year. So around the start of this year, like I mentioned previously, I decided to kind of put my content out there more. And I made a Twitter specifically for my design stuff, which was kind of an interesting decision because I didn't think Twitter would be effective at all. Mm-hmm. Like I had a personal Twitter but I didn't tweet at all. So I didn't even have any followers or anything. Kind of just used it to catch up with what other people were saying. But somebody recommended to create a design Twitter. And I was like, okay, cool. Let's try this out. Apparently the design community is pretty awesome, which it is. I ended up discovering. But I would share a lot of my content on Twitter. And I would follow all these other accounts. Also Adobe accounts as well. And particular designers within Adobe that I admired and look up to. And... In terms of like the Adobe Live opportunity, that really came by chance. I can't even say that was directly me. It was more like I posted something cool or what other people thought was cool. And it got a lot of reach and engagement. And then somebody tagged one of the senior designers in Adobe. So his name is Howard Pinsky to check my content out. And he did. And he liked it. And then that same person said, recommended that I should be on Adobe Live. And for some reason, that was more than enough because Howard asked me if I wanted to be on Adobe Live after that. And I said, yes, I definitely want to be on Adobe Live. So that's kind of how that happened. So kind of by chance, but I think it wouldn't have happened at all if I didn't obviously create a Twitter, put more of my content out there. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like, you know, initially you found a way to kind of get on Adobe's radar by doing things that are in the, like, community properties that they manage and things of that nature. Mm -hmm. But then also you had the separate Twitter. So you're really doing a lot of brand marketing with getting your name out there and getting your work out there, which I think is is a really, that's a really smart thing to do. I've worked for some SaaS companies that they try to do community, not in the best way, but... It's interesting, like the way that people get on our radar, the way that we know, like who our our fans are, or who other like yeah. people that really like the work, is through the community yeah. stuff. You know, I mean, yeah. especially if you're using something where like all your users are just usernames and they don't have profiles or anything like that. Right. It's hard to really kind of know. Well, who are these people? You just sort of see them as like this aggregate set, but. If you're participating in our support forums, if you're on a Discord, like you said, or even Twitter or something like that, that's how we end up finding like, oh, these are the people that really like the work that we do. They're tagging us. They're talking to us. So I would, you know, for designers that are listening that want to sort of, you know, I would say get in the good graces or get on the radar of companies (laughs) that they admire, reach out to them through their community efforts and platforms. Like that's really the best way to do it. Not just to complain. A lot of people 
complain yeah. about Adobe, of course, but like, right. <laughs> like if you're, if you're doing work with that platform and, and you want them to just kind of know about it, like that's the best and easiest way to kind of get noticed and seen. So that's, that's really cool. Yeah, I agree. Cause you, you might be surprised how many brands do appreciate that and will respond in some way. So there's like another brand as well called Voice Flow that I, uh, I don't know how many people have heard of, but it's kind of a platform where you can implement voice features in whatever product you've designed. And I made something that I'm included in that product with one of my class projects and I posted it and I tagged them and they were so, okay, I don't know if grateful is the right word, but they responded so positively. Like they shared what I said, they followed me, like they promoted the post that I published. So a lot of brands do respond positively to you tagging them or sharing your content with them, telling people, oh, I made this with this particular program. It's typically seen in a positive light. So people should always kind of be forward and doing that kind of stuff. Yeah, they really should. And I mean, I'm, and I'm telling you from the company and that's worked like in those marketing departments, it makes our job so much easier. <laughs> if, we, <laughs> if we can like see the community talking back to us and letting us know, because then we don't have to try to hunt and find down like, well, who are the people that we should focus on and spotlight on, especially, especially people of color, especially women. It makes mm-hmm. all the difference if you're like yeah. reaching out to the company and letting them know about this kind of stuff that you're doing. Cause it just, it makes our job easier and it, it helps us help you because a lot of these companies are really, especially software companies. And I'm, I'm kind of, given a bit of inside baseball here, but a lot of software companies have zero idea how to approach community, like right. zero. The yeah. most that they will do is put up a Twitter account, maybe a Discord account or Discord bot or something. Like that's about it. Yeah. They're really depending on people to talk to them because these are generally, and I, I'm generalizing here, these are software developers that do not have social <laughs> skills. I'm, I'm being completely, I'll be completely honest here. It is so, so, so beneficial to just reach out to us and let us know what you're doing because, you know, there's a saying like closed mouths don't get fed. A lot of these companies that have these community efforts are like struggling to find ways to do things better for their users because they want their users to be rabid fans. They want this tool yeah. that they've spent hours, weeks, months, years building to like take off and be really profitable. And the way that that happens is if they have a community of people behind them that love the tool and the product. So reach out, talk to them. Exactly. Trust me. They want to, they want to hear from you because otherwise they really don't have much to go off of. I'm just being totally honest there. I agree completely. We've got some <laughs> candid insight from you. <laughs> so I see on Instagram, you've been doing this little like like personal series called Introverts Talk. Tell me about that. Yeah. Also a good reminder that I need to kind of create a new post <laughs> to that series. But I started <laughs> it initially because I do describe myself as an introvert, typically because I do like my own space and my own me time which is, I guess, you know, your typical introvert. And I thought, oh, okay, so I'm an introvert and I work in design, which typically is a collaborative kind of environment. You're working with other people, other designers, sometimes people in different roles, engineers, etc. So you do kind of have to know how to work with people in different ways and accommodate yourself to their situation or vice versa. And I thought, okay, this is interesting. I'm in this industry. I'm working as a designer, but I'm also an introvert. So what are some things 
about both those aspects of my profession or aspects of my personality that would be interesting to talk about. Because I knew other introverted designers, but I had never really come across content from the perspective of an introvert designer. So I was like, okay, why not share my perspective, my stories, kind of what I'm experiencing on a day-to-day basis, and maybe other people will relate to it in some way. So initially, that's kind of why I started it. It was more of like a personal thing. I wanted to take a bit of a break from just like typical design stuff and put out more personal content. And a lot of people did resonate with it, which was extremely surprising, more than I thought would. Uh But it was reassuring to kind of see that all these people were in somewhat similar situations and related to some of the points that I mentioned. It was like, okay, there are a lot of us and a lot of us kind of have those similar experiences and we should definitely talk about it more. I feel like that's not talked about enough except occasionally, but it should be a point of discussion a lot more often in the design industry. Mm, Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, one of the interesting things about sort of what this past, gosh, I'd say two years now has done, even with this this pandemic, is it's in a lot of ways kind of flattened communication across different parts of the design industry. Like, I know prior to all of this, the people that really were out there that were getting seen and doing stuff were the folks that were always at conferences and doing podcasts, and they were like out being visual well, not being visual. They were out really like in a very big way in the community. Like you could see who they were. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And now that everything has kind of been condensed to online, it's made mm-hmm. people that maybe aren't as social or don't want to be a social for whatever reason have an yeah. avenue to also now be seen and talk about their work in a way that maybe prior to this they wouldn't have because mm-hmm. it would involve, you know, stepping outside of their comfort zone in that way. Yeah, exactly. Now you are in. Tanzania, which I don't know how much of our audience really knows a ton about Tanzania. Is that where you grew up? Yeah, that is where I grew up. I moved right before I started uni. So essentially, like 99% of my life has been here in TZ, and that's kind of where I am now as well. But yeah, okay. totally where I grew up. Yeah. Were you exposed a lot to like art and design growing up, like through your family and anything? No, I actually wasn't. The only exposure I had to, let's say, art was learning art in school. And that kind of art was either music. So growing up, I did play the piano or it was like drawing. So the typical painting classes that you Mm -hmm. have at school, that was kind of what I did. But neither of those were stuff that I thought I was great at. Like I was decent at the piano, but it wasn't something that I wanted to do full time or anything like that. And when it came to like literal art, so like drawing and that kind of thing, I never thought I was that good at it. So growing up eventually, like going through high school, I kind of lost interest in both those things. When it actually came to the type of design I do today, so like graphic design or website design, app design, we didn't do that at school at all. Mm -hmm. So it was never something growing up that I was like, oh, yeah, this is interesting. I want to do this. But I also think back then it was also just not popular or like not a thing yet. Graphic design, maybe to a certain extent, but definitely not user experience or user interface design at all. Mm. So. Yeah, my path to actually becoming a designer started way later. So like towards the end of university, because I didn't really have that exposure to art or a similar kind of art growing up. Okay, well, let's let's talk about university. You went to uh, the University of Leeds and you majored in uh, communication and media studies. What was your time like there? Leeds was awesome. It was I was there for three years. Yeah, three years. And it was such an 
great experience. Whenever I think back to it, I'm always like, yeah, I'm definitely glad I went to Leeds because it's interesting. When I applied to go there, I didn't know what I wanted to do. Like I'm assuming most high school graduates <laughs> don't really have an idea of what you want to do as a career for the rest of your life. It's a lot of pressure to kind of figure that out at such a young age. Yeah. So when I did apply to Leeds and a couple of other schools, I didn't have a solid idea, but I thought, okay, I like media. And at the time I liked studying media representations. I thought that was interesting. So I was like, okay, let's apply for communication media at the University of Leeds. And that's what I ended up going to do in terms of my actual experience at the university. The course itself was very theoretical. So not what I wanted exactly or what I learned I didn't want to do. Didn't mm -hmm. want to be writing essays and doing research for the rest of my life. But everything else outside of it was an experience that I think really helped me grow as a person. So the city itself, I fell in love with. I think Leeds is an awesome city. Not, I guess you could say, not super busy if you compare it to places like London, but also not boring. There's like a ton of stuff to do. So I found that I became a lot more outgoing and a lot more open and social during my time there because it was such a new experience, very different from the city I grew up in. And I was able to kind of do a lot more stuff that I never had the chance to do. The university was huge. There were so many like societies is what they were called. I guess maybe in the States, you might call them clubs, like after school activity type things mm -hmm. that you could engage in and participate in. And I did so much. So I felt like during my three time, my three years there, I picked up all these new skills and met all these great people. And it just helped me grow and develop as a person. So I kind of always look back on it as, okay, it was an awesome experience. Like maybe in terms of the course I took, it wasn't the best, but everything else outside of that was awesome. Kind of helped me grow. And Leeds is is kind of a, I mean, here in, in the States, we call it a college town, but it's a town that has like several universities. So you always yeah. have kind of this vibrant throng of students and culture and everything that comes through, I think, every year. Yeah, there were so like the, you would always run into young people, or like you said, students. There were quite a few universities there. So exactly. It always felt vibrant. Like there was always something going on, something that you could do. So in that sense, it was just such a great city to really kind of branch out in. Nice. And so while you were at Leeds, this is when you kind of first like saw and looked at design as something that you wanted to do. Is that right? Yeah, I guess you could say kind of. So in my final year, I took an optional course where it was called mobile design and it was mostly theory. So studying concepts about mobile design but we had like an optional assignment where you could actually design a mobile product and I remember I took the option of doing that assignment because I thought it might be interesting to kind of do more of a practical concept piece that I would say is the first time that I really designed anything at all and that whole experience was new to me but also exciting because it was the first time I was doing a school assignment and I wasn't bored. You know, I was actually interested <laughs> in what it was creating. Like I didn't mind spending hours and hours and hours of my time building this product. I even remember back then I, I was using Sketch, I believe. That was the first okay. UI UX design software that I came across and I downloaded and I used it to build that app. Looking back on it now, it was not a very well-designed app. <laughs> but at the time I thought, wow, this is amazing. I'm really good at this. Mm -hmm. But like the whole point was it really ignited something in me for the first time and really made me think, oh, okay, this is interesting. I kind of really like doing this. Maybe I should look into what kind of career might involve this type of work more. 
Let's go a little bit deeper into that. Like when you describe that feeling, like how did it fulfill you? Like in what ways do you feel like doing that project sort of made design really like click for you in your brain? I think it was because I enjoyed every single moment of it. So we had a problem that was presented to us and had to come up with a solution. So obviously involving brainstorming and then actually creating that solution. So ideating, building a prototype or a design or a sketch, and then having your final product that you then presented. And it was the first time that kind of I enjoyed each and every single step involved in the whole process. I think with previous things I had done, it was more about the final product. Like, let's just do this, get all this out the way and create something that we can then submit and be done with it. But mm-hmm. there wasn't any sense of attachment to what I actually created. That was the first time that I did feel attached to what I made and I felt proud of what I'd made. And it was a feeling that I wanted again, like I wanted to be able to create and design products. At the time, really, I just wanted to design more apps because I thought the process was fun. And also i was proud of what I kind of was able to come up with in the end. Mm. So it was that kind of pride. I don't know how you describe it. Maybe I've described it well and you kind of understand what I mean, but it was that feeling that I had. Yeah, I think pride's a, a good way to to describe it. Because sort of as you alluded to earlier, you know, when you're in those like young ages, like let's say 17, 18, 19, et cetera, and you're going off to school and there is this really strong expectation, I would say particularly among black folks, there's a strong expectation to really kind of figure out what it is that you're going to do. And that, you know, especially if your family isn't really supportive of the arts, that it's something that will make money. (laughs) Like they want to make sure that you're going to be doing something that will provide for you and that you're not necessarily just kind of like chasing a a hobby, I would say. I don't know, maybe it's it's different in, in different cultures throughout the diaspora, but Yeah, I think, you know, once you find that thing that like you get really excited about and you feel proud about, that's a feeling that inevitably you continue chasing because that is what will fuel you and kind of, you know, guide you through your career. Yeah, no, I agree completely. Like growing up, my parents have always been supportive, like regardless of what I wanted to do, they just kind of wanted me to figure out what I wanted to do Mm -hmm. for a long time. I didn't know. But like you said, there is that pressure that whatever it is that you decide to do, you want it to be something that you can use to support yourself in the future. You don't want to be completely reliant on your parents forever. So there is that pressure and that expectation. And at the time when I was building that project for the class assignment, I had that feeling. I wasn't even thinking about, oh, I can earn a lot of money from this. I didn't know how much designers earned from designing um, Mm -hmm. products at the time. It was just more of, this is something that I think I love doing. And that's the first time I felt that way. So why not explore that field? Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So you finished up at Leeds. What was sort of your early career like once you graduated? So you've gotten this feeling like, oh, I designed this mobile project. I love it. I want to keep doing stuff like this. What were sort of your your first like early career experiences after that? Yeah, so I graduated from Leeds and initially... It's a very, um, not necessarily complicated, but indirect pathway to what I'm doing right now. But initially, I wanted to go for my master's and I wanted to study front end development, which is a bit different. But at the time, I thought, okay, I like design. So I like the visual aspect of designing something. But mm-hmm. also, I had taken a class on coding and I kind of like that too. So I thought, why not um, pursue front end development and see if that's something that I'd want to do? But that didn't end up working out. So plan B was to find a role in like marketing or PR 
in leads, more of like a temporary type position that I do while I figured out everything else, which also didn't end up working out. So I went to plan C, which is very left field. And that was going to teach English in Japan. So my first job outside of university wasn't anything design related. I was in Japan for a year and I was teaching English, but it was awesome and amazing. And I think that's also where I also kind of built my interest in design more on the side. But Mm -hmm. yeah, that's kind of what I started out with first. Talk to me about what it was like teaching English in Japan. Uh, it was amazing. I would definitely say of all the places that I wish I could go back to most, Japan is number one and probably will remain number one forever. Mm-hmm. It was just such a different experience. Before going, Japan was on my list of places I wanted to visit. I'd met a couple of Japanese students while I was at Leeds, so like exchange students and gotten to know them really well and become good friends. Mm-hmm. So the whole experience for me was, okay, for one thing, I could reconnect to those people and link up with them again, but also I could explore this country that I'd been wanting to visit for such a long time. And for me, for the entire year I was there, initially I knew it would be very new and very different from anything else I had before. So putting aside the language barrier, just adapting to a whole different culture, but it wasn't as hard as I thought it would be. I wouldn't even say it was hard at all. Like right from when I first arrived, I stayed with a friend for a couple of days and then eventually kind of started orientation for my job and everything Mm -hmm. but it felt so smooth and easy and everyone I'd met both like internationals on my program but also local people were just really nice and accommodating one thing I'll always say is that the Japanese people well actually wouldn't be right to generalize but everyone I met while I was there was very accommodating and very polite and very helpful in a way that was so different from anything else I'd experienced. Like people would go out of their way to help you in any way possible. So it was just so surprising to kind of be met with that politeness and be met with that type of sincerity and people's actions. And the community that I lived in, so I lived in a small town that was kind of near Kyoto and Osaka. Mm -hmm. And it was a really small town, but community wise, the people I met there were just so like they brought me into their community in ways that I initially wasn't expecting. So I'm Christian, so I went to church even while I was there. And the church community in particular, I guess you could say even adopted me. Like they were just so accommodating and so helpful and so nice and really went out of the way to include me. Because uh-huh. it is easy to feel alone and to feel like you don't really have anyone, especially in a small town way out in Japan, super far from Tanzania. But the community in particular were just They went out of their way to really make you feel like you were at home and you Mm -hmm. were with people that cared about you. So that was something that I really grew to appreciate during my year there, just getting to know different people and learn more about them and feel accepted by them. And that's something that I miss as well from my time there. Very cool. I'm curious, like, what's one thing that you really kind of like remember that sticks out aside from the anecdote that you just mentioned, but like, is there like a, a food or a piece of culture or art or anything that really sticks out to you when you think back to that time? I would say trying to trace my memories of the very many things that stick out. (laughs) I would say a couple, I'll mention a couple. So for one, just how much you could do, which sounds a bit weird, but okay, where I live now, Sitizi, or the specific city I live in, it's great. There's a lot to do, but in comparison to Japan, obviously, 
not in any way comparable. Mm-hmm. So living in Japan just really put me in a situation where you can be like, oh, this weekend I'm going to go to Kyoto and I'm going to do X, Y, and Z. I remember I went to Kyoto for New Year's like on my own for just a couple of days exploring different temples and stuff like that to celebrate New Year's. Or next weekend you can be like, oh, I want to go to Osaka and I want to go to USJ and go on all these roller coasters. So it was such a new experience in terms of being able to do anything and everything whenever you wanted. And that really allowed you to have a wealth of experiences in such a short amount of time. So that's mm-hmm. one thing that I really remember, having the opportunity to have all those different experiences. And the second, I would say the food. I loved the Japanese food a lot. I would say my favorite was sushi. That was number one. First time mm-hmm. I had sushi in Japan and it was amazing. And then a couple of others that I really grew to love. Takoyaki, which ah. is... Oh, octopus! You know what it is? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I think I would like it at first, but it became <laughs> one of my favorites. I absolutely loved it, and also okonomiyaki was mm. one of my favorites too. I ate that a lot, so I really grew to like the food as well. I didn't pick up any recipes, sadly. I wish I could. I would have been making them here, but yeah. So the food and also just the opportunity to have different experiences were the two things that stand out for me. Very cool. So you finished up teaching English in Japan. Did you? then go back to Leeds or did you go back to Tanzania? After I was done in Japan, I finished end of 2019 and I actually came back to TZ. So the plan was to go back to school, do my master's. Okay. And at the time it was because as much as I liked teaching in Japan, teaching wasn't something I wanted to do as a career forever. I always knew that I wanted to go back to design. So I thought the best way of doing that would be to go back to school. At the time, that's kind of my thought process. Go back to school, get another degree, and then you'll become a designer. And that was kind of my plan Mm. coming back home. So that's kind of what I immediately worked towards applying for different schools. And eventually, I went to Humber College. Okay. And you mentioned, you know, just now that you just finished up there. Can you tell me about, you know, what you were studying and kind of how the program was? Yeah, it was a short program, so technically a year, more under a year, and I was studying user experience design. So it was a pretty comprehensive course in the sense that we got to learn about UX research methods, which was great, but also practice actual visual design skills and visual design processes. So it was a good combination of both aspects, the UI and the UX part of it. And I would say that the professors we had and the projects that we did really helped me kind of grow and refine my skills as a designer. Mm -hmm. So when I came back from Japan, I was applying to school, but in the meantime, I was also working. So I had these jobs as a graphic designer and as a junior art director at different companies. So even before I started my course, I had design experience from these different jobs that I had, but actually taking the course helped me really develop the research aspect of my skills. So how do you conduct UX research? How do you become an empathetic designer, which is something that people do talk about a lot. So it was a really good course in terms of developing those kinds of skills. And the great thing is that we also had an internship that we were supposed to do after you were done with your studies. So right now I'm completing my internship. I'm done with my classes, but I'm finishing up the actual design internship that I'm doing. And then I'll technically be completely done with school. But overall, it was a really great course, not that long, and I managed to learn a lot. Everyone I studied with, I think, helped me learn and grow in some way as well. Worked on some really dope projects, one of which I'm working to add to my portfolio right now. But yeah, it was overall a really great experience. 
How do you think your prior experiences, like both teaching in Japan as well as studying in the UK, how do you think those things helped you out as you were studying UX at Humber? I think they kind of helped me become quick to adapt in terms of working with different people. So our course had a lot of group assignments. Most of our assignments were group assignments. We're working on projects with different people. And that was really easy for me because both during my time at Leeds and in Japan, to a certain extent, I was working with a lot of different people from a lot of different backgrounds. And I would say for anyone in that kind of environment, you have to be patient and you have to be flexible in a lot of different ways. And I felt like doing this course, it was a lot easier for me because I did have that experience, like even in terms of time zones. So a lot of the people that I was working with, so the other students on my course lived in Canada. Canada is seven hours behind my time, I think. Mm-hmm. So even in terms of adapting to working in the evening or late at night, my time, which was easier for them because that was early in the day for them, was just something I adapted to as well. So I think it just made me a lot flexible, like in terms of just working with whoever it is that I was working with and bringing out each other the strengths and just kind of working collaboratively to achieve the same outcome just made it a lot easier for me. Nice. Overall, what appeals to you? Like what about UX design really appeals to you? I think for me, it's about kind of creating a solution that benefits people in some way, except it's like more of a tangible solution or a solution driven by technology. So I always had an interest in technology, but when it came to UX, it was kind of, it helped me look at it in a new kind of light. So we're not just building products for the sake of building products, like designing a website just because you want to, or building an app just because you think, oh, it'll be fun. You know, it's about kind of building these products in order to address a problem from an innovative point of view. And I thought that was always really cool. And after I started my course in Humber, it was more about learning, okay, how is this process driven by looking at users and looking what problems they're experiencing from an empathetic point of view and really trying to put yourself in their shoes and understand what it is they need or what it is they expect from this solution, from this product, from this service, and really trying to frame your mindset and frame your thinking as a designer in that kind of way. So I always thought that was really interesting. That's kind of the designer I want to be. I want to be someone that can take on these issues, like work in a team to address these issues in ways that helps a specific user base in some manner. And that's something that I'm also still working towards. But ultimately, that kind of became a goal of mine and really is what solidified my interest in UX design. Mm. Now, throughout your your both you know educational as well as professional journey, who are some of the like mentors or people that have really helped you out along the way? Yeah. Well, I always say my first mentors are my parents, not from a technical perspective. Obviously, they're not designers, but more from an emotional and supportive perspective. So I think I mentioned a bit earlier, they've always been very supportive in terms of whatever I wanted to do. And there have been times when things have not been going well, or I felt that this wasn't a career path that I would be good at. And they've really been the main people kind of holding me up and pushing me forwards. So I always kind of label them as my first mentors, so to speak, in terms of like life lessons in general. Mm-hmm. In terms of like the design industry, I have a few mentors that have really 
guided me in my path up to where I am now. So the first is a designer based here. Her name is Lillian, and she's kind of head of design at a company agency here called AIM Group. And she was my first official design mentor. She actually ended up becoming my mentor because I applied for a role at her company, and I didn't get it. But, oh, I guess here's also another tip. I didn't kind of let that be. I reached out a couple of weeks later and I was like, I know I didn't get the role, but I would kind of love your feedback on my portfolio or on a specific case study and see what I could improve. And she was completely for it. So that was kind of my first experience getting insightful feedback from someone in the industry. And she kind of became a mentor for me and still is. So just somebody that I always go to for advice whenever kind of different things in my life happen in terms of my career. So she would be my first mentor and a mentor that I still have. And I've managed to acquire a couple more mentors. So there's a platform called ADP List that I recently became an ambassador of and that I use often. Mm. And that's really made it a lot easier to find mentors in different companies all over the world. So through ADP List, I've managed to connect with mentors like Rihanna, who is a designer in the States. And she's been helping me a lot in terms of really refining my portfolio and adapting it to improve. And it's just kind of been a really great way to talk to people in a lot of different companies and learn more about like what they expect from young designers, getting their feedback and getting their insights. In terms of people that maybe I haven't spoken to as much directly, so on a one-on-one basis, but I still still credit as inspiring me when I was younger. One, I've already mentioned Howard Pinsky, who is a designer at Adobe. I would always watch his videos and kind of be inspired by his design work. Andrea as well, who used to be a creative resident at Adobe, was also somebody that inspired me a lot. Others, Brandon, who is, I think, what is his exact role? There's so many different roles. But I think he also kind of works in collaboration with Adobe and has his own community. I remember when I joined his community, that kind of really motivated my desire to design, not just from a professional perspective, but also just for fun as well. Mm-hmm. So those are a couple of people that I've learned from in different ways over time. When you say Brandon, do you mean Brandon Gross? Yes. Oh, wow. We I, I had Brandon on the show a couple of months ago, actually. Look at that small oh, world. Awesome. Yeah, no, <laughs> joining his community was just so awesome. I'd never experienced something like that before, but yeah, he's great. Now, people here in the states may not know a lot about Tanzania just as a country. Like when I think of Tanzania, I I know it's and and honestly, this is mostly coming from my like grade school education from watching Where in the World Is Carmen Sandiego. But like, I know it's a country near the equator. I know it's between yeah. Kenya. And Mozambique, and it's like very like the Serengeti is there, and Mount Kilimanjaro, and you have the island of Zanzibar. Like, if you were to sell, or I guess you know, just speak, you know, effusively about Tanzania, like how would you describe it to folks? I would say it's a place brimming with culture and experiences that are probably unlike anything you've experienced if you've okay for example if you lived in the states and had had a chance to visit from a cultural perspective it's really a place where you can really kind of learn a lot 
different things in terms of different cultures and different practices and traditions. So I know sometimes people, that's kind of one thing that they really look for in visiting new places, learning more about the culture. Mm -hmm. And there are a lot of ways that you can do that here. So obviously there's one aspect in terms of the wildlife, which is great. Serengeti, all that stuff um, that you can definitely do. You can also kind of immerse yourself more in like specific local cultures. So something a lot of people do is kind of embrace themselves or rather immerse themselves in like the Maasai culture. So actually living within these communities for a certain amount of time and just kind of experiencing their different traditions and customs. Or even if you were kind of just visiting more of the mainland area. So for example, the city I live in, Dar es Salaam, there are a lot of different ways that you can really kind of just have a different experience from what you're used to. You know, walking along the street, kind of looking at different artistic products that people have created, sculptures, paintings, hand-sewn objects, all that kind of stuff. And really just getting to learn more about what it is that they've created, taking the initiative to kind of take those products for yourself as well as mementos terms of food as well just kind of getting to walk around and experience the culture in some way I think for me the one thing that I really do like about TZ and that I missed when I was abroad is how chill it is and I think that's something that a lot of people will say that it's just a very laid back place some might say too laid back at times (laughs) <laughs> but I think sometimes when you compare it to other places that are extremely high-paced and stressful, when you come back to Dar or come back to TZ, everything slows down a bit. People aren't in aren't in so much of a rush. You know, there isn't that feeling that's around you all the time. So that's something that I do appreciate a lot, that it does feel laid back and it does feel a lot more relaxed and that's something that I growing up I became used to and when I'm away from TZ that I missed a lot just a very relaxed accommodating welcoming place Hmm. um, whenever anyone would like to visit before you know we started recording I had sort of incorrectly said that oh you live in the capital like Dar es Salaam is not the capital of Tanzania it's a lot of people think that it's the largest city though yeah the Doma is the capital the Doma okay yeah what would you say is like are there like specific elements to Tanzanian design? Like if you had to to sell the, I'm asking you to sell the country, but like if you had to sell, like when you think of Tanzanian design, like what jumps out to you? I would say maybe the uniqueness to it. And that might be something that's maybe applicable for a lot of different um, countries. But when you do purchase a product from here made by people, local to here there's a certain uniqueness to the design so whether it's a sculpture or a painting like there's an essence to it that feels very tanzanian or feels very at least for me feels very home and so that's something that i think stands out for me it can be something as simple as a small sculpture of a man but it a lot of times tells a story from whatever it is that the sculptor is taking inspiration from. And mm-hmm. I think that a lot of artists here are able to convey those stories and convey those emotions within whatever it is that they create. So there's a lot of homeness to what's created here, which I guess maybe is a perspective unique to me or unique to people who are from here that maybe people not from here might not get to experience. But I do think that a lot of the stories and a lot of those emotions and feelings are conveyed in the art that people make. Mm. I uh, was doing a little bit of research earlier and I saw there's like this unique kind of like painting style to Tanzania called Tinga Tinga. Yeah. Can you talk about that a little bit as much as you you might know about it? 
Yeah, we actually have, I think there's an arts museum as well, close to where I live, um, Tinga Tinga Arts Museum. But that's kind of an example of the kind of work that I think people make that does convey a story or convey some kind of idea in a colorful and unique way. And for me, Tinga 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 products aren't something that I bought a lot growing up just because, you know, I feel like when you live someplace, you kind of tend to neglect embracing the art of where you live as much as you should in comparison to where you travel elsewhere. Uh-huh. But for me, Tinga Tinga has always kind of just been an art style that is unique and that is able to kind of convey those different stories in really dynamic and colorful ways. So, yeah. Are there any like Tanzanian designers that you know of that like maybe we should know about or we should be on the lookout for? Aside from you, of course. <laughs> are there Are there any that you know of? Yeah, there are a couple that I do typically follow and that I do, I guess you could say, quote unquote, admire or their design work inspires me in some way. Most of them are, if not product designers, graphic designers, because that's more of the area that I'm involved in. But a couple that I'll name, I guess, um, there is one called Raphael. He is a brand identity designer. He designs a lot of brand identities and logos for clients. And he's someone whose work that I've seen a lot, even before I actually started working as a designer, I would see his work often. And I still find myself being inspired by his work every day, even though I don't typically want to become a brand identity designer. But what I admire is how he's able to kind of take what the client is asking for or expecting and really create these unique identities for these clients. So I think his logo work, his identity design work is awesome. He's somebody that I found that I learned from a lot. Another designer, so a female designer, her name's Edna. She's actually an animator, but we connected on LinkedIn and occasionally I see her work on my feed and I I'm always a big fan of coming across other female designers or female creatives who are from where I'm from because it isn't something that's super popular or that you come across often here, unfortunately. You know, hopefully that changes over time. So Edna is an example of somebody whose work that I genuinely do appreciate whenever I come across it. I'm not super great at animation and motion graphics, so it's just always really great to see somebody who is and see some of the great concepts that they're able to come up with. In terms of another person, I guess I would say Jackson is one. He's art director at a company I can't quite remember the name of, but I'm inspired by some of the work he recently shared. It's more of creative work created for um, a specific company located here, but I kind of just thought it was a really creative interpretation of the idea they had. So it was kind of this connection between a telecom company here but branding it from the perspective of something ecological or like it was more of like a sustainable type of project and I found that the creative products that he was able to create were really unique and as somebody who has worked in that environment before so junior art director at an agency I know how hard it is sometimes to really come up with creative executions and concepts that the client actually likes and wants to move forward with so I kind of just thought that his work was really dope and something that I should learn from as well So those are just a couple of names, but there are definitely a lot of designers out there within the industry with different roles that I've gotten to know a lot this year in particular. So yeah, I'm super grateful to always be learning from them. What advice would you give to to any designers that are listening that like want to get more into UX design in general? Mm, I would say, so a couple of tips. The first one being, so I kind of already talked about this, but putting yourself out there I know in the beginning in particular, you are so much more self-conscious about your work and what you're putting out there because you think it's not good enough. And we live in a day and age where 
people are always sharing their work online. You know, we have so many different platforms dedicated for that kind of thing, especially from a creative point of view. Like there's Behance, there's Dribble, there's Instagram. There's so many different platforms where people are sharing awesome work and it's easy to feel intimidated by that and feel like what you make is not good enough. But I'd always say regardless of what stage you are at in terms of your career, or your progress towards becoming a designer, don't be afraid to put your work out there and share it. And people are more than likely going to provide positive feedback in some way or form. Like, I think there are very few people out there that are going to see something you've made and judge it harshly. People tend to be very accommodating, very welcoming, especially for newer designers. I'd say Twitter is one of the best platforms for that kind of thing. So first tip is to put your work out there. Second tip would be to always find ways to learn. So my ways of learning was to take a postgrad course in UX design, but you don't have to do that. You can learn a lot of different ways. I think with online platforms these days there's so many different ways that you can really pick up new skills so you know there's youtube there's skillshare there's udemy there are a lot of different platforms where you can take actual courses that will teach you specific skills or alternatively you can just learn by involving yourself in different communities there's design buddies there's the adobe creative community there's brandon's community there's so many different design communities out there that you can really become involved in and they that's a great way of really learning a design as a learning to become a designer, but also building friendships and building relationships with these different people that can help you on your path. And then my last tip would be, um, I guess, to kind of find what your motivation is. I think especially when you are transitioning from a different field, that's something that a lot of people have been doing lately, which is awesome. But sometimes it's really easy to lose sight of What's motivating you to pursue this path as a designer? For me, my motivation was I wanted to build solutions that would help people, especially on a community level. That was kind of the main thing that kept me focused on my goal up until this point. So I think for anyone at the start of their career, that's something that you need to identify so that when things do get tough and when they do get hard, especially when you are applying for full-time roles, it's not easy at all for most of us. You do need to have that source of motivation that keeps you going regardless and that you can hold on to even during those tough times. But those are kind of three main tips I'd give to people. What would you say you are obsessed with lately? Obsessed with Netflix. <laughs> okay. <laughs> no, not Netflix. I think my obsessions haven't changed in the past few years. My main obsession, I think, is anime and manga. That's kind of, if I'm not designing, that's typically what I'm consuming in some way. What shows or what titles are you checking out? A lot of the, I guess, mainstream ones that most people are, so like My Hero Academia or the Slime one, whose title I can't remember, it's way too long, Haikyuu, a volleyball one. So I typically, I've been watching anime and reading manga since I was in high school, so quite a few years now. And it's just something that I always go back to because there is never a shortage of good content, like ever there's always something that'll pique your interest in a lot of different genres like really any kind of content so yeah up until this point i kind of have kept going with that and that's typically what i what i use for entertainment i guess you could say okay uh have you seen cowboy bebop i've seen episode one of cowboy bebop okay i I, I was gonna ask if you had heard about the live action i think it's a movie or a show that's coming to netflix yeah i have heard i have heard of it yes i have heard it looks good is what I think people are saying. I'm interested to see what it is. I'm I'm always a little weary about live action adaptations of anime because it's one thing to convert from 
animation to live action, but you're also, there's so many cultural things about anime that are like intrinsically Japanese that when mm-hmm. you are converting it to English and English speaking audiences and cultures, it just doesn't mesh well for some reason. Yeah. I'm thinking specifically about the Ace Attorney series from, from Capcom. They have, it's this, this lawyer, Phoenix Wright. That's what the, the American title is, but the, the Japanese title is, uh, Naruhodo something. I forget his last name, but anyway, yeah. there's like certain very Japanese things that mm-hmm. they try to convert over to American. Like instead of them eating ramen, they eat hamburgers. And yeah. like the fan community calls the city that they live in Japangelis because it's like supposed to be, <laughs> yeah, they're supposed to be in Tokyo, but they're actually in Los Angeles in the US or, or whatever. But so I was going to, yeah, the, the Cowboy Bebop, I'm, I'm interested to see what that's going to look like in live action. Like the cast looks yeah. great. I yeah. wonder how they're going to really capture that feeling. I remember reading an, uh, an interview with John Cho and he was saying that he wasn't going to sign on unless Yoko Kano, who's the, the composer of the theme and, and much of the music throughout the series. He's like, unless yeah. she, if she's not on board, I'm not on board. So that yeah. gives me hope that it's going to be good, but we'll see. <laughs> we'll I see. I what you mean. Live action adaptations do not have a good rap at all. Like, I don't know what the good ones are. A lot of them people typically say suck. Like, the most common example, okay, so I don't think Avatar is necessarily anime, but people always trash the live action of Avatar because yeah. it's awful. So I personally haven't seen any live action adaptations yet. But if um, the Cowboy Bebop one is good, I might just have to. I hope so. I think anime fans everywhere want, I think they want it to be good. You know, I mean, no one wants to, to go into seeing these things and they hope that it fails because there's such a rabid fan base behind it. So they want it to be successful, but you know, yeah, what the fans want and what Hollywood gives you, two different things, two exactly. entirely different things. So, yeah. Yeah. Where do you see yourself in the next five years? What kind of work do you want to be doing? Well, I hope I am working in a company as a full-time product designer, just because that's something I haven't gotten experience of doing so yet. So I've been working as a freelancer for quite a while now. Mm-hmm. And although that's great and has its merits, there's also a lot of value in what you can learn working in a company environment or even working in an agency so right now i do work with an agency but more of on a part-time basis so i definitely see myself kind of working as a full-time product designer hopefully even in a senior role as well like in terms of i think i have high expectations for myself in terms of kind of how i want to improve and progress career-wise so i don't want to be stuck in the same position i'm in right now like a year down the line uh-huh. i want to be able to look back and see oh okay i went up this many levels you know figurative levels so i kind of see myself yes working as a product designer but hopefully in a more senior role too i want to kind of be at that point but i also want to be able to look back and really feel like i've made an impact in some way so i talked about this a bit before but i'm really interested in kind of how you can create solutions for the communities you belong to and there are a couple like projects that i have in mind for my own community, just kind of based on my experience being back in TZ since 2019 and what I've experienced here so far. And, you know, there are a couple of things that I really look at and I feel we could have a solution for this, but we don't yet. Why mm-hmm. is that? You know, and how do you approach those problems or create solutions for those problems? So I hope several years down the line that I have 
participated in creating solutions for some of those problems as well on a community level. I think that's something that I really strive towards creating as a designer as well. Like, yes, you're a designer and you have successfully worked on this many global projects, but also what impact have you had on your own community? I think that's something important for me too. Well, just to wrap things up here, where can our audience find out more about you and about your work online? Yeah, I'm on a lot of platforms. So the main ones that I use, Twitter, at Elsa A. Amri. So that's a bit confusing. It's Elsa and then another A and then Amri. So three A's in the middle. I'm also at Instagram at Elsa Edward Amri. I'm on LinkedIn a lot too. You can find me there. My name is Elsa Amri. So same as always. I'm on Behance as well. I always love following other creatives on Behance and checking out the cool work that they do. My username there is also Elsa Edward Amri. So you can find me on all those different platforms. I also have a portfolio website, elsaamri.com, that you can check out. And all my social media contacts are there as well. So that makes it a lot easier if you want to find me on a different social media platform too. Sounds good. Well, Elsa Amory, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you for really sharing like your journey as a designer, how you, you know, really kind of came into your own and, and really were able to use the experiences around you from, you know, going to school in the UK, teaching in Japan and really bringing that to your work. Um, I really hope that this interview will help more people not just learn about you and about Tanzanian designers, but also just, you know, about the, the ways that they can put themselves out there and really be seen and be recognized for the work that they do. Cause I think what you've done, certainly just from what you've described and from what I've seen has been like something that I would love to see more designers do to try to make a name for themselves. So thank you so much for coming on the show. I appreciate it. No, thank you so much for inviting me. This was super fun. Never done something like this before. So I was kind of nervous going into it, but it was really fun to just kind of talk about my experiences. And for anyone who does listen, and if they do learn something from my own experience so far, that's awesome. That's really all I could ask for. But yeah, it's been super fun as well. Big, big thanks to Elsa Amory. And of course, thanks to you for listening. You can find out more about Elsa and her work through the links in the show notes at revisionpath.com. And of course, thanks to our wonderful sponsor for this episode, Brevity and Wit. Brevity and Wit is a strategy and design firm committed to designing a more inclusive and equitable world. They accomplish this through graphic design, presentations, and workshops around IDEA, inclusion, diversity, equity, and accessibility. If you're curious to learn how to combine a passion for IDEA with design, check them out at brevityandwit.com. Brevity and Wit. Creative excellence without the grind. On the weekend of October 8th through the 10th, join the Harvard Graduate School of Design virtually for the Black in Design 2021 conference. This year's theme, Black Matter, is a celebration of black space and creativity from the magical to the mundane. Their speakers, performers, and panelists will bring nuance to the trope of Black excellence and acknowledge the urgent political, spatial, and ecological crises facing Black communities across the diaspora. You don't want to miss out on this weekend of learning, community, and connection. Visit them online at blackmatter.tv to learn more and be a part of the event. Support for Revision Path also comes from Adobe Max. Adobe Max is the annual global creativity conference and it's going online this year, October 26th through the 28th. This is sure to be a creative experience like no other. Plus, it's all free. Yep, 100% free. 
With over 25 hours of keynotes, luminary speakers, breakout sessions, workshops, musical performances, and even a few celebrity appearances, it's going to be one-stop shopping for your inspiration, goals, and creative tune-ups. Did I mention it's free? Explore over 300 sessions across 11 tracks, hear from amazing speakers, and learn new creative skills, all totally free and online this October. To register, head to max.adobe.com. Revision Path is brought to you by Lunch, a multidisciplinary creative studio in Atlanta, Georgia. This podcast is created, hosted, and produced by me, Maurice Cherry, with engineering and editing by RJ Basilio. Our intro voiceover is by Music Man Dre, with intro and outro music by Yellow Speaker. What did you think of the interview? Better yet, what do you think about the podcast overall? Please don't be a stranger. Be like, be like Adam Box who sent us this wonderful review on Apple Podcasts. You know, I'd love to read reviews. But anyway, you can also hit us up on social media. We're on Twitter. We're on Instagram. Just search for Revision Path. Or, like I said, leave us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. If you let everyone you know know about the show, it really helps us grow and reach more people all around the world. As always, thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.